my language of love is a gift giver. I love to give gifts and I love to give opulent gifts. I love to help strangers. I like to do good stuff and not get caught as I was taught and sometimes pretty extreme, sometimes financial. And I'm not telling you that to try to make you think I'm a good guy. I'm telling you it's a coping mechanism. There's something magical that takes takes place when I see someone struggling and I'm able to help them financially without them knowing it was me. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hey guys. <laughs> Three, two, one. Everyone, what's up? Welcome back to the podcast. We're so glad you're here. Yeah, we're so grateful that you found Almost 30 Podcast. If you are new here, my name is Krista Williams. And I am Lindsay Simsek. And we started this about almost three years ago on our closet floors because we were going through a life transition that I know a lot of you are going through, have gone through, uh, going from our 20s to our 30s, which is just can be a chaotic but really exciting time. So we wanted to have a larger conversation about it. And you all have just been so vocal as well and like joined in and have grown what almost 30 is today. Basically, we, yeah. we attribute it to you. Thank you so much for being a part of this. If you guys tune in every week, what's up? What's up? What's Hi. up, fam? Welcome back. Share I got a friends. nice present at the at the Cribbo on Friday. Oh, got a little present. It? And I was like a little nervous because it was from a listener and I was a little nervous. I'm like, oh, fuck, like, I don't know if it's safe to have my address out there, but I think about that once a week. I know hundred, you know, I just want to be thoughtful about shit. So I was like, oh fuck, I don't know if this is okay, but opened it right up. I mean, some influencers, you know, get pictures of themselves drawn or something like that. (laughs) Your girl, Krista gets a retainer case. Oh my God. What kind? The cutest retainer case. Oh my gosh. From our, from our very own. I gave her your address. I know you did. She put that in there. (laughs) She's so sweet. So one of our listeners, Susie, she's an OG. She sent me a cute ass retainer case. Dude, what? My fucking Invisalign. Come on. Shit. She's like, I know you're gooey and gushy and you got your nasty retainer everywhere. (laughs) Here's this case. And it has like a little like strap where I can wear wear that shit around my neck. Stop it. Swear. I've never seen one of those before. Yo, catch me wearing my retainer case around my neck, bitch. (laughs) Someone's like, what's that pendant? And you're like- Honestly. Invisalign. Yeah, honestly, it's my nasty gooey retainers. I was like, wow, this is like where I'm at right now. Wow. Some people get, you know, like treats, cakes, mm -hmm. pictures, like underwear sent to them. 
That's how thoughtful almost 30 nations. That's is. the damn truth. Because they, they're like, I'm not going to send fucking flowers. That's like, let's send truth. something that means something. And that she'll use. And she knows me. And I actually use it. So you're not going to lose this round of your Invisalign. No. Hell yeah. <laughs> so I lost my last round of my Invisalign. And I was like, oh, cool. It's whatever. I can just put in my next round early. Uh, I honestly was like bedridden. I had a headache all weekend because I just forgot that it's actually changing the shape of my mouth. And like the smallest movement takes yeah. so much like, yep. I don't know, energy or yep. whatever. It makes such a difference it does. in your bite. Yeah. So if you notice a little bit of a lisp, <laughs> that's, that's what's going on with me. I have a few more months of this. Of this, so if you want, it's flying by. It's flying I'm really by, having a great. I'm having a great time. I really it. like it. I feel protected yeah. with my retainer, and to be honest, oh, like if and you my ever... teeth have felt whiter because I have less particles on it every day. Oh, I guess. <laughs> that's I a great that's selling point. I'll go with it. It's not true at all, but <laughs> but thank honestly, you so much, Susie, for my retainer case. You could probably use that to whiten your teeth, like get a little whitener. Oh yeah, they have some. You could and have, then like do yeah. that. Yeah. That's a great idea. You could How put it in sweet. There. I know. How I, sweet. I was like, I was like, oh shoot. But then I was like, oh, this is cool. And actually an update. So I walked outside of my apartment uh, yesterday and my sweet neighbor, Dr. Bob, who is 88 years old, was doing Tai Chi in the parking lot. Huge, I'm starting Tai Chi. Huge fan. Mm-hmm. Love Tai Chi. Justin loves Tai Chi. So he was doing his little like Tai, tai Chi Qigong routine. And he's like so excited to see me. And I was like, what's up? He's like, did you see? And I was like, no, They're, they arrested someone at my building. Someone who lives stealing there. Stealing packages. Fuck yeah. I know. They said it was actually, this case was a, was someone that didn't live there. Like wow. potentially not, I don't know if they were homeless or not, whatever their situation was, but the police caught them. They were like taking a bunch of packages. So wow. Someone got arrested. Good. I know, isn't that crazy? So if you guys didn't listen, I've been having my packages stolen for months and months. But you didn't reach out to the police. No. Yeah, I mean, I would think that would be like a lost cause to reach out to them. Like they would never respond. But that's pretty cool. I think that police take jobs to like relax a little bit. (laughs) They have so much going on. I bet you some, every once in a while, they're like, let's get a cat from a tree. You know what I mean? Like every once in a while, they're like, call in three fire trucks. Yes. They're like, let's just like, (laughs) let's just do something easy. They call their firefighter friends. They're like, hey man, you bored? Yeah. Yeah. It's not even bored. They're like, it's kind of like when you need a break at work. You're like, I want to mix it up a little bit. A hundred percent. But you know, that that's absolutely could be me. So feeling good about the APT. That's so great. I I actually too got, our listeners are so thoughtful. This is a intro just to tell you how thoughtful you guys are. I got an email from one of our listeners, Haley, and she's in a nutrition functional medicine program right now. And she listened to the Dr. Axe episode. And we were, I guess, mentioned my uh, concern or uh, thought that I might be anemic and it was in affecting my digestion and my liver function and all of that. So she was talking about how I should get tested for celiacs based on like what she's been studying and celiacs doesn't always show up clearly in a test and oftentimes it's genetic. So I just really appreciated, you know, there was no like ask or anything. It was like, Hey, here's this information I was thinking of you because I was listening to the episode and, you know, I recommend you like maybe take this test and, and go from there. But I, yeah, I just really appreciate it because it always comes at the right time. (laughs) It's always a good reminder. It's always exactly what I need to hear. And I just appreciate that you care. That makes me feel really loved. I know. <laughs> Whenever they do stuff where it's like, whoa, 
like my friends would say that to me or something yes. you know, where they really know you Yes, is so such, it's the best feeling. Mm -hmm. Cause I feel like I know so many of them so well from DMing and events and the group and stuff. But you know, when you feel like that in return, it's just the best. Like, it is oh, absolutely the best. You know me. Oh, I was, I was listening to Shaman Durek the other day. His podcast, Ancient Wisdom Today is, is really great. And for me, I always get in a mood where I want to listen to it. And I get in a mood with any podcast I want to listen to. Sometimes I'm like, I want to laugh. Sometimes I want to just like get all the mushy, gushy spiritual stuff. And he did a solo episode the other day um, called Elevate Your Thoughts. And you know, it started out like it, it, it just built. As it does. Like it just- It truly does Fucking build. built. It was- It's like an orchestra. So amazing. <laughs> it, it started to really- uh, gain momentum. I mean, it was like fire from the start, but like gain momentum around minute 20. And what he was talking about, and I'll, I'll give a little taste on the podcast in a moment, but he was talking about just when we are taking in content, whether it's on TV, Instagram, movies, and it's so violent, it's grotesque, it is uh, murderous, and it's desensitizing us you know, this is a, this is a plan by, you know, whatever you want to believe the matrix, the system, whatever to desensitize us to this. So that when we see war in a movie or in a TV show, you know, we turn on the news and we see, you know, people being murdered in other countries in a civil war or in the war that we're, the U S is in, like, we don't really blink and it's fucking disturbing. And I just really needed him to like, shout this from the rooftops like he did because I think there are areas of my life where I'm absolutely desensitized to things, you know? And I'm like, oh wait, why am I? I don't really take in fucked up content regularly. Every once in a while, I really do like a series where it's like solving a mystery and there's probably a murder involved. I like the storytelling of that is interesting to me, but yeah, I mean, thinking about that and what I'm taking in really made me think. Uh, I mean, this is my actual life. Like that topic is, it's just like, I don't, that's what I don't understand. Like I don't watch anything close to, I don't watch Black Mirror. I don't watch anything with murder. Mm -hmm. I don't watch anything with crime. I don't watch anything with rape. I, you know, I started the Michael Jackson thing, Neverland couldn't get through like mm -hmm. the first 10 minutes. Yeah, it's hard. You know, so much of that, even honestly, like I couldn't watch Game of Thrones because of that. Just oh, because- no. It's like, I don't want to go to bed with that sleeping into my subconscious. There's so many weird shows on Netflix too that are super dark that are like related to like cults that are related to secret societies that are related to cannibalism that are related to like being like Lucifer, you know, like even like that one show is called Lucifer. Yeah. I know it's really hard because so much of the media and so much of what we consume today it's hard to disseminate, you know, it's hard to disseminate and it's hard to discern. And I'm not coming from a place where I am only consuming, you know, positivity and, and clear, pure things because who knows, you know, I, I don't really know, but I do think that there is something to the desensitization. You know, if we think about desensitization with video games, with porn, with the shows that we watch. Music. Music, honey. He talks a lot about music. Sorry, just an aside, like the you know, the really hard rap where it's like, you know, big booty hoes in the, 
pussy and the da 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 slam and normal whatever. It's yeah. like desensitizing us, and we're like we're kind of like watching the music videos, we're dancing to it in the clubs. We're like, this is fun. This is like some good beats, and it's like the lyrics are just. So grotesque. I mean, it's like, I can't even talk because like I'm a huge fan of like of rap and hip hop and I have been since I was little in Cincinnati. But it's like, if you think about it, you know, if we're standing for something in some part of our life where we believe that women are equal, women should be paid equally, women should be tre treated with respect, women are queens, women are all of these things. But then we are listening to this vibrational communication to us regularly about women being less than, women being sex objects, women being stupid, women being bitches, women being hoes. Yep. There is a disconnect. You know, there's a disconnect in so much of our lives. And really it's like, how can you remedy a part of that or a portion of it or worrying about what I personally can remedy just for me and not worried about what anyone else can remedy for them because that's that's their journey and that's their path. But it is something for us to think about. And, and it's weird since doing Reiki training, uh, you know, I've done one and two now, Reiki level two. And dude, I know. It's the funniest thing I've ever been a part of in my life. And I laugh about it every day. The only thing I can listen to is like Christian rock. Yeah. Take that in. <laughs> yo. I got in I, her car the other day. Yo. And it was like, hey, he is yeah. the one, yeah, the savior. Like, <laughs> he is the most high. And it's like, it's not, it's, it's, the, it's honestly like, dude, if you would have told me five years ago, 10 years ago that this would be me. It's the craziest thing, but I, it's either, I don't really even listen to stuff anymore in the car. I try and use that as silent time, mm -hmm. but I can't do as much the music that I used to love. And I don't know if it's because I'm just being more thoughtful and conscious about what I'm letting get into my energy field and what I'm letting seep into my brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. He talks all about that. Exactly what you were saying where it's like, you know, if we're going to stand for this, like fucking walk the talk. Yeah. And know? why is it not cool? Like that's what's a little frustrating too, is that there's, it, there is such a discrepancy between like, why isn't clean rap cool? Or why isn't it cool to rap about things that are thoughtful and, you know, I don't know, like respectful. Like, why is it always about Zans and like pills and Molly and girls? And I remember when Lupe Fiasco, you know, after food and liquor kind of went to talk more about him being Muslim and, mm -hmm. and had more thoughtful rap that was like beautiful and amazing, but it's like, there's all of a sudden a shift. And I think it's because the music industry is perpetuated by a system and a group of people that are part of a machine. And so if they have th something that is going against their normal programming of to keep people dumb, to keep people in a certain state and in a certain situation, they're going to kind of silence that. So I think that's what happens a lot of times when rappers go from being one way to another way, they kind get removed from being in the scene because they're not subscribing to the normal process within rap, which is the girls, drugs, cars, money, more, whatever, robbery, killing, et cetera. But it's just, it's, it's something that I think I'm trying to think about. And I think we all should try and think about. And it perpetuates just the more wanting more. So it's like, you know, wanting that fancy car, wanting that, you know, five girls, wanting the bottles at the club, wanting the bags of money and the Rolex, like instead of music that makes you feel confident and inspired exactly 
where you are and with who you are. Totally. You know, it's like, totally. then that would not promote consumerism. Can you can you imagine if some rapper was like, yo, just be present, take a breath and Actually, be present with yourself. I think that'd be fucking dope. We should make a dope hey. ass song that's literally like, hey, yo, it starts with you. Like, you know, like the, the Eckhart Tolle, like it starts with you and like, take the breath, be present. Like I feel like Kanye is about to do that. And yo, it's, it's Kanye like, is it's on like some other shit. Doing that. That's the thing. It, yeah, the Kanye thing, I have a lot of thoughts there, but it is with the rap. It is. So it's like, if you think about it, a lot of these rappers, although you may not know, are part of this system that the music industry is in. And that is a lot of times a dark system that wants us to consume, that wants us to stay in this system where we're buying, we're wanting, we're never satisfied. We want to spend money. We have to either work our nine to five or rob or steal or do whatever it is to, to get this amount of money and we can never truly get there. So people are you know, getting money in, in weird ways or either stuck within the system. But yeah, I completely agree with that right. statement. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna actually just pull up a little audio from uh, his solo episode while I pull it up. What were you gonna say about the Kanye thing? Because oh, I, yeah. I kind of think it's important that we- Yeah, so on the Kanye that. thing, so I watched the interview with Kanye and Letterman. What is it, mm-hmm. my next it's, guest? Yeah, my, my next guest needs no one, but my next guest, yeah. Yeah, my no next guest, uh, Letterman. So I have been in and out of being a Kanye fan for a long time. And, you know, a lot of stuff with the Trump thing really turned me off. And Justin has been kind of like a ride or die Kanye fan from, from the beginning, you know, outside of his political views and beliefs there. But watching that with Letterman really just made a lot of sense to me with kind of the the route he's taken and the process that he's gone through. I think that Kanye was a part of that system within the music industry that was really challenging and could kind of be a dark path. And I think he's shifted in a way to go really a little bit beyond kind of where we are consciously talking about, you know, as it relates to like how we marginalize and victimize Trump supporters, which is an interesting concept. You know, if you think about it from an energetic perspective, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't know. I don't really have thoughts as it relates to that, but he was speaking to um, the, the, the idea around music and sound and how a lot of times with like rap, it has the 808s or the bass that opens up your lower chakra. So the 808 is like the boom part of a a beat. Yeah, that kind of makes you like bump. It's like, yeah. you know, the hi-hats and the 808s are usually what makes a rap song really good. It's like Metro Beam, Metro Boom and et cetera. And so they'll play that and it'll open up your root chakra and then they'll kind of put in the information from your crown chakra that's being spoken. And that's kind of like the stuff that dumbs you down, the stuff that is sort of like the brainwashing that he talks about. So mm-hmm. Kanye was talking about that. He's like, you know, I've just caught, I'm rethinking music and I'm rethinking how I communicate what I is I'm trying to say within this industry. And I think that was such an interesting and astute observation. And and that's a lot of the reason why he's doing Sunday service because Sunday service is in a dome. It's all white. Everyone wears all white. It's like energetically sound. They only speak high vibe things. They play these beautiful instruments. They like sing at a positive note and range and it's only families. And it's just kind of I don't know. It's it's just been an interest. It was an inter- interesting thing to witness and see. You know, him having this conversation with Letterman about this when, you know, he's he's said different things and and he's talked a lot about mental health and mental illness. But just those two points, I thought were really poignant and interesting and really resonated with me. Yeah, I've always been so affected and touched by like 
communal singing and not just like choruses, but like there is something to like a raw communal fucking rip. Like it's yep. just, and it's, it's not organized. It's not auto, uh, you know, whatever tuned. It's like, it is coming from like the deepest parts of these singers souls. And it's so, I've been loving watching like Kim's stories on Sundays. It's like, damn, that is something special. And I hope that, you know, it does penetrate the music industry and inspire new forms of music. Like for people to start thinking about how, how influential music is. It is like the, the soundtrack to so many people's lives. And I hope that like what they're choosing is not that darkness and, you know, kind of perpetuating any negative thoughts or things in their life. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on, I'm a fan of Kanye right now. Yeah. It's hard though too, you know, like Justin, cause Justin and I got into a conversation after watching the Letterman thing. And I was like, yo, Kanye is talking about what I've been talking about. And he's like, you know, but I have the choice and I have the intention where I don't let that stuff penetrate me, which, you know, is a thought. I, I don't know which is right. If I'm right or he's right, you know, there's no real right about it, but you know, I think about that too. Like if you do have the intention to not be brainwashed or you do have the intention to stick to your morals and values and not absorb the negative uh, vibrations of the song, whatever they're saying, does it protect you? I'm, I'm not sure, but Justin always talks about that too because he's such a hip hop hip hop fan and has been for such a long time. So, you know, we kind of got into a conversation about that. Yeah. Uh, let me play this real quick from uh, Shaman Dirk's podcast. All right. He's talking about the desensitization. The desensitization. Thank you. I know. On TV, film, in particular, Drew Barrymore's show, um, Santa Clarita Diet, uh, and music. So here we go. That we've been programmed with in society. The, the sickness that we keep being told is okay so that we can become desensitized because we don't recognize that we're being desensitized so that we're okay with it so that when they do those things, like when they, when they invade your country and start blowing people up, you're not going to really feel that much because you already saw it in the movies a thousand times and you saw it on TV and your blockbuster hit films and you saw on your, your greatest TV show. It's not going to mean that much to you when people are eating people as cannibals because you have shows like the California Diet and all these different things that you're just desensitizing your brain and your energy and your emotional body, which knows that any form of watching any human being suffer is a sickness to your soul. Need I say more? I really need you to think about that for a moment and really give some consideration to how much of the spiritual, emotional body we are causing torment to. But because our mind is overpowering and being a bully to our emotions and desensitizing us from the reality and the nature of our spirit, that we have found it okay to be okay with any form of degradation upon the human body or human spirit, right? in films and TV and, and radio and music, all of it, 
to call women bitches and hoes and sluts and 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 every time you hear a rap song it's all about how big of this and how big of that how much she's taking and how how dirty she is and what a hoe bag she is and all this is complete disrespect to women and you got women bouncing to it in their cars and acting like that's some kind of cool beat because you've been so desensitized you don't even realize the amount of pain that your emotional spiritual body is going through because you're so disconnected. Your mind is only reacting to the beats and, mm, mm-hmm, yeah, I got that bitch, I got that bitch, I got that bitch. Mm, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. I got that bitch, it goes down, it's going to ditch the itch. We got to get that bitch, get down on the ditch, you know? I'm- yeah, just, you get it, but it's no. like, it's powerful. I you know. know, when you're, you're kind of like, he's just so good at, calling out and ask at the same time, asking people to fucking wake up and like level the fuck up, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So hope you guys are having a great day. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so I uh, hope you got your coffee and uh, you're having a great day and you know, and your 808s. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And so, you know, just, just enjoy, enjoy the rest of your day, but you listen to music and watch your TV. <laughs> Oh shit! <laughs> I know. You know, just FYI, our intention is never to. Uh, no, it's never to shame you. Yeah, or we're the same. We're just exploring this whole whole world together with you. To be honest, because hearing that makes me just think about yeah, things 100%. like and take it or leave it. Honestly, with anything that we say on this podcast, you can take it or leave it. But it's just kind of what's coming up for us. But shout out to Shaman Durek and his podcast, Ancient Wisdom. Today, um, I just tune in when I'm like kind of in the mood to like be fucking cold. When I'm on that matrix shit, I need a little moment. Exactly. All right. I don't know if there's any proper transition, but other than I'm just really, really excited about this episode today with Khalil Rafati. Oh, same. He is such a delight. He looks so young. I mean, he's got that buttercream. He has reversed aging (laughs) because if you look at the cover of his book, I Forgot to Die, you would think he is old, sick. I mean, he was like just about to die. You know, he was a heroin addict among, you know, other drugs that he used and completely transformed his life through food and obviously therapy and other modalities, yoga. And I mean, his story is pretty wild. Yeah. This was such a delight. We are huge fans of Sun Life Organics. There are a bunch of different stores in LA and elsewhere. And um, we have read the book. You know, we read the book a while ago. So getting a chance to have him on the podcast, I heard him on Rich Roll a few years ago. So it felt like a serendipitous moment to have him here and to go through his story and go through some of the changes that he's made health-wise that have really changed his life and enabled him to live a much more thoughtful and conscious journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his story, I mean, he goes from working with Hollywood movie stars and like Rocky musicians, really truly like living the life in the nineties in LA, but it accelerated quickly and found his way to like the darkest parts of LA and being homeless on Skid Row, uh, being addicted to heroin and cocaine. And from there, you know, falling into psychosis and paranoia. And I just can't imagine trying to fucking find your way out of that state of mind, you know, when you're just so dark and deep in it. So uh, he gives us his whole story and it's just really inspiring for anyone, you know, who has addicts, who knows an addict and family, friends, 
And, you know, he's been a real advocate um, for addicts and, you know, volunteering and being on the board of many recovery centers and whatnot. So just really inspiring. Yeah. So the company is Sun Life Organics. The book is I Forgot to Die. And you can find him online. Yeah. So at com. K-H-A-L-I-L-R-A-F-A-T-I.com. You can find his book, his products, all about him and his business and connect with him there. Yeah. I'm excited for you guys to listen. You can join the secret Facebook group on Facebook to connect with thousands of other women and you can join our ambassador program to connect with women in your area. So our ambassador program enables the lovely people in our community to create community and events where they are. Mm -hmm. And we are on tour. So check out our tour schedule, almost30podcast.com slash tour. We cannot wait to see you and meet you. And for those of you out there that are starting a podcast, wanting to start a podcast, have a podcast, but want to up-level in your branding, marketing, and maybe want to monetize, we are relaunching a really, really exciting um, part of your podcast pro in September. So stay tuned for that. We're working really hard on that right now. Yeah. And if you're in the LA area on August 17th, we have a workshop. So it is a full day intensive workshop on starting a podcast, growing your podcast, monetizing a podcast. Um, So we'll be taking you through all the steps. It's Mm going to be, you know, a good five hour day with a lunch break in between. And you can get tickets for that on almost30podcast.com. Yes. All right. Enjoy this episode. Share with your friends, share on Instagram. We always appreciate it. And if you're called to rate and review on iTunes, that means the world. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that new episodes just show up in your little podcast inbox on Apple Podcasts. And that's it. We love you. We love you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. When did you start getting into crystals? Um, when I was a child, huh. I, went, I went into a place called Osterman's Jewelers. I was like four years old yeah. and I was with my mother and they had large amethyst geodes and I was immediately drawn to this one particular geode. And at first it was it was really cute and all the employees thought it was like really cute. And then I began dragging my mother back again and again and again and going and I would just stand in front of this particular purple um, amethyst geode and just stare at it. And then after a while, it started to become kind of like a nuisance and like, hey, hey lady, <laughs> you know, what's with your kid? Like you got to go to school. <laughs> yeah. So I was obsessed from an early age. And then um, she had this kind of, uh, I don't even know what you would call her. She's from Poland. I don't know what they would call it over there. I don't, they don't call it witchcraft or anything, but she was like a psychic type, you know, friend that could predict a lot of things, you know, with like 80% accuracy. And she had me do something called astral projection. Yeah. And um, I immediately, and I was a child, I was a little, she's like, explain to me what you're seeing. And I immediately went to this place that the only way that I could properly describe it or even come close would be kind of like, in the old Superman movie where he went to his dad's place and it was all made out of crystals. That was what I experienced when I did astral projection. I went to what she thought was Atlantis. I was going to say. And, and said that that's where I was from and that I'm now here and I'm supposed to bring a message to the planet. So yeah, (laughs) way to come out. You're like four years old. You're like, okay, (laughs) what's for lunch? (laughs) I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's really weird when you think about that stuff. And I'm absolutely obsessed. If you, if you were to come into my place, as much as you love crystals from what I can see, like you'd be embarrassed for me. I mean, it's, it looks like a crazy, you know, like a cat lady. I'm like a crystal lady. Mm -hmm. Like I, I have massive 
gasoline citrine crystal next to my bed. I have, as you saw, inside my fountain, I have big giant cathedral points inside my fountain. Inside both of my saunas, I have multiple crystals. In every shower, I have giant crystals. I really, I, I think they give you magic powers. Yeah. I think they I think they protect you and I think they give you magic powers. Did you lose that when you were going through your addiction? I did. That connection? I lost everything. I lost everything, but I, I, I lost that for sure. And, um, and it was horrible. It was really horrible. For those people who have not read your book and don't know your story, I'd love to just kind of set the stage in that way. So side note, I, I, I read your book about two years ago. Um, we had just started the podcast. I guess we were maybe six months in, but um, it was like a pipe dream to have you on. So we're really, really yeah. grateful to have you. Thank here. you. Yeah, we were like, oh. and I actually gave the book to one of my best friends. His brother's a heroin addict, mm-hmm. and he read it and was very emotional and almost didn't know how to process it because, like, the, he's like, "This is my this is my brother's life right now, yeah. and he's not out of it." So um, you actually sent his brother your book. So that was really powerful. Um, This was two years ago, so I don't expect you to remember, but I just wanted to thank you for that. Was he in prison? Uh, he was. Yeah. Okay. I remember. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I do that a lot. I, I, mm-hmm. I, and I don't, I don't say that to try to come across as like some good guy. Cause listen, I sell a shitload of books mm-hmm. all the time. And I don't even know if you know, but like now it's, it's in Russian, it's in wow. Spanish, it's in Bulgarian and growing it's on audible. So like it's going all over the world now. So when people reach out to me and they're like really, really struggling, my first question always is, if you're really, really that destitute, what are you doing DMing me on you know, probably an iPhone? And what are you doing on Instagram? Like, go to work. But <laughs> if they're really, really struggling, I will often say, get my book. And if you can't afford it, um, please give me your address and I'm happy to mail it to you. And a lot of people will, will take me up on that. And most of the time I don't hear back, but every now and then I get a message back that will just knock me out of my chair. I mean, yeah. just really... People claim, and I know, I don't know a lot, but I'm smart enough to know that I can be a catalyst or I can be an inspiration. I am not a savior. I am not a guru of recovery or addiction or any of that shit. This is just my personal experience about how do you, how do you sink that low? How do you wind up a homeless, muttering to yourself, teeth falling out of your head, rotting corpse? shuffling down the street with one flip-flop on how do you get like that and then how do you become how do you go from that hopeless state of despair as a 33 year old 109 pound convicted felon high school dropout junkie how do you go to then a 49 year old 161 pound athlete at you know at 49 years old looking 15 years younger than i did 15 years ago. That's the crazy part. Yeah. You look so healthy. Yes. Thank you. Yes. I feel healthy. You look so healthy. So when I get to deliver that message to people and, they, and they're able to receive that message, it's really powerful. And I'm the great beneficiary. So I'm, I'm glad I sent your yeah. friend's brother a book. Yeah. No, they really appreciated it. But I'd love to kind of start way back when and, and kind of why you are in, why you wrote the book and in this work and you know, starting with, you know, your childhood gets our experiences in childhood are what, you know, influence so, so many of our decisions and our self-worth and yeah. how we take care of ourselves. So wherever you feel comfortable starting. Yeah, there's, there was, and there still is a sense of worthlessness, a sense of I'm unlovable. 
And I can trace back almost every one of those pivotal moments in my life where, you know, there's that part in, in the book where I'm being severely sexually abused by a, a much older sibling. And I'm going to my mom and pulling on her and saying, please make him stop. And she shoes me away and says, he's just tickling you. I remember chasing her car up Laurentide because my dad would make her work every single day, seven days a week, like a slave in his restaurant. Not ever once thinking you've got a three-year-old kid at home who's unattended. I mean, I used to go and like sleep in the front yard until two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning until they would come home. And when I think about that today, I mean, you'd be put in jail today, obviously, but this is in the very early 70s. Toledo was uh, uh, heavily influenced by the mob. There's a lot of gambling halls that were going on at that time, illegal. From Ohio, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, you are? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Ohio vibes. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it was easy to throw a cop of 50 and say, oh, you know, don't my son's crazy. We were home, you know, so it was very easily swept under the rug. The violence, um, the kids, the kids in private Catholic Jesuit school at that time, because my parents were immigrants, because I looked different, I had a different name. There were rumors and mumblings about, you know, violence and police showing up at my house and stuff. So kids weren't allowed to stay the night at my house. I wasn't allowed to stay the night at anybody's house which made me feel like a piece of shit. I mean, and and rightfully so. I mean, people didn't want me around. There was all kinds of stuff like that that went into this building my mind and my psychology and my belief system that I was worthless, that I was a piece of shit, that I was different. And I guess I was different. I mean, I came from different religions and different you know, backgrounds. And then at school, they didn't know how to deal with me. I would act out because I desperately wanted attention. So then they would stick me in the corner and they would put a dunce hat on my head and they would tell me that I was stupid. And they would, you know, I'll never forget Miss Hunyer, my sixth grade, my first year of sixth grade. I'll never forget her saying, get your feet off of that chair. Do you put your feet on the furniture at home? And I very innocently said, yeah. And she said, well, that's because you have bad parents. And out from my mouth came, you are a bitch. And she grabbed me and dragged me out and, you know, made me stand in the hall and all the classes that would shuffle up and down to go to the bathroom because they made you get in line back then. Yeah. Like cattle to use the bathroom. Oh, yeah. In Jesuit Catholic schools, you had to, you couldn't. What was your school called? uh, That was St. Patrick's of Heather Downs. Where I was, I was held back, and um, so you know, you know where I'm going with this: sexual abuse, violence at home, you know, neglect. I would, I, I, I was going to say I was. I'm shaped a little weird. Um, I have a very massive skull. I have a longer torso, and I have very short legs. And little kids are are merciless. Oh, I mean, God. they would, they would mm. just crucify me and you know, call me Charlie Brown and call me Pumpkinhead and tell me that I was retarded and you know, like. Mm. It it was it was really really tough. I can laugh about it now, but when I think about that poor little boy, like they sent me to uh, Mrs. Bassage to the school psychologist, which at that time was worse than riding the short bus. If you were going to see the child psychologist, that meant that you were fucked up, right? And um and I went like every other day because I was either acting out so violently or uh 
interrupting class or, 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 you know, trying to make people laugh so I could get attention, or I would do the opposite and I would just shut down and I would go into these holes where I would just be non-responsive, almost catatonic. And, um, I was going through panic and anxiety attacks, but I didn't know what they were. So, you know, it was like just gripping my thighs and like, you know, pinching myself. And if I was alone, I would bite myself to make them stop. But Mm -hmm. I thought I was going crazy. I thought for sure they're going to find out they're going to put me in a rubber room. So, and this is a 12 year old, 13 year old, 14 year old. So, um, yeah, that kind of set the stage for, for, you know, decades of, of self-hatred and, and feeling less than, and, and, um, you know, it's still, that's still there. It doesn't go away. I mean, once you make a million dollars or once you hop on your friend's private jet, that doesn't wash away all of that dysfunction and insecurity and fear. So I have this interesting life of like very, very opulent and there's a lot of success that has come my way. And there's still a great deal of, of deep, deep insecurity and fear and uh, overwhelming sense of impending doom. Not, not all the time. I'm not in any way, shape or form trying to gain sympathy for somebody. I just want people to understand how I got the way I got. I also want people to understand, maybe we'll get more into it, is how I got out from the way that I was. But then also, like, yes, they're lying to you and they say money can't buy you happiness because it can. I promise you, if you're making 10 bucks an hour and all of a sudden you start making 300 grand a year, you're going to be a lot happier. Money is going to make you a lot happier. That's sort of the good news. The bad news is after that 300 grand a year, if you go to 500 and then 700 and then a million or whatever it is, you don't become any more happier. And oftentimes you get a little more stressed out and a little more afraid. So there's been research that has shown that there is a cap on that happiness. I don't know. You know, it's probably variant depending on where you live. Because you know the the status of your income or your income goes so far certain places, but it's actually been proven that you hit a certain point and you don't get any happier. Right, but it's also important for people to know that you do exponentially get happier from zero to you know whatever yes, it is. Excellent. I think in the Midwest it's like seventy five thousand. Yes, I think on the East and West Coast right. it's like three hundred or four hundred thousand yeah. dollars. And and I can attest to that. Money has really brought a lot of freedom and a lot of happiness to my life. The freedom thing. The for freedom. Me. Yeah. It's really, yeah. that's like my whole thing with money is when I come, you know, when I come around to wanting more or wanting to build more, it's really the freedom that money has offered my life For sure. to not think about my decisions, not in a way of irresponsibility of like going shopping or buying purses, but being able to buy my Irwan juice and not think about it, being right. able to donate and not think about being able to stay at a nice hotel and not think about it. It's really that freedom of thought yeah. and like living without constraint of what I'm able to do. Yeah. It's incredible. And it's available for anybody because if, if an idiot like me can do it, then anybody can do it. And that's the God's honest truth. And that's not feigned humility. That's reality. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have great talent. You don't have to have any of that shit to be massively successful. You've got to be willing to sacrifice a lot, you know, but you don't have to have all kinds of, you know, I don't know. I mean, I sit on the board of, of, uh, of this one charity for the, um, the Siddhartha school in, in, uh, in Northern India. And when we had our board meeting and everyone went around the room and they were talking about how they got their, I don't even know what it's called. Like your, un, I got my undergrad at Columbia and I got my doctors at Princeton yeah. and I got my whatever. And they're all going, and I was the last one. I'm like, why couldn't I just go first? <laughs> I was the last one. You're and like they, school hard knocks, baby. <laughs> and they got to me and I'm like, um, I dropped out of high school and, uh, 
I'm a convicted felon and I smoked crack and I shot heroin and everyone started cracking up laughing. I'm sure. They were dying laughing and then you there was an <laughs> uncomfortable silence and then I'm like, for real. I'm not joking. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, like don't be fooled by the collared shirt. Like, wow. you know, I don't have, and then the guy who's the, the main dude that's in charge of it all that put up the bulk of the money to create the board for the school he cut me off and and uh, he painted me in such a beautiful picture that my only regret is that I didn't record it because it was so cool. He's <laughs> like, Khalil has done this and he helps these people. And I'm like, oh, wow, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, self-deprecation works. Yes. <laughs> um, for the drugs, when was like the first time where you found drugs? Little kid, real little kid. Really? Yeah, because my mom, so my dad left when I was uh, seven and my mom started working nights. And then all the kids, like the older kids in the neighborhood knew that. And I was desperately seeking attention. Uh, so um, I would invite them over and they were all smoking weed and drinking. And so was I. And at first it was kind of like, oh, look at, you know, it's cute. The kids like drinking a beer or whatever and smoking weed. But by the time I hit like 11, 12, then I was really doing it. I mean, that was like wow. blacking out. I was like smoking pot until I would like hallucinate, freak out and smash windows and shoot out windows. and With a gun? Uh, a pellet gun. Oh, yeah. But still, I mean. Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pellet guns. Pellet guns. <laughs> and then from that point, you didn't graduate high school, right? Mm. So I got kicked out of. I got kicked out of St. Patrick's of Heather Downs. I got held back in sixth grade, kicked out in eighth grade, went to St. John's, got kicked out, went to Maumee Valley Day School, got registered, got kicked out before the school year started, wound up at Bowser, which is a public school, and uh, dropped out. And why did you, did your, what, with your dad leaving, was there any reasoning explained to you or? Did you internalize that as your fault or what was that experience like for you when no, your father No, my, my dad was like super violent, very angry guy. Um, a lot of it is cultural, a lot yeah. of it, what, what he was taught living in Palestine, you know, pre-Israel Palestine. It's what he grew up around and it's what he learned. And he was, you know, continuing the cycle, repeating the cycle. Thank God I stopped that cycle and thank God I stopped the cycle of sexual abuse as well. Thank God that I was able to recognize that you don't, ever hit a woman you don't ever you know touch a child and you know i've said this on multiple podcasts and i'm going to say it again if if you're in the south of france and there is a young woman coming towards you in a bikini and she is clearly a woman right filled out everywhere you're not checking ids if some scandal were to break about some famous actor was in the south of france and it turns out he's like hooking up with some 17 year old girl i get it I, I'm not. I'm not condoning it. I'm not justifying it. But I'm saying, I, I can wrap my head around that all day. Being a dude, I was in the south of France last year. I have no idea how old these women were. However, if a, if a child is a child, you don't touch a child ever, 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 ever. You never in mm. your wildest whatever fucking weird sickness you have going on. Go talk to a doctor Yo. about that. You know, don't touch a child, and. And, and then I'll also say, you know, if you and your girlfriend, you're in your 20s and she's acting crazy and you're acting crazy and she comes at you and she's tearing at you and throwing punches at you, you know, maybe in a situation like that, sure. I, 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 I could understand how a guy could have a knee-jerk reaction, but I'm talking about like beating a woman. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? 
Why, why would you ever? That's like beating a child or beating a small animal. You don't beat anything. Unless another man is trying to take your life from you, then maybe beat him back. But the violence that I witnessed was unforgivable. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't speak to my dad. I love my dad. I know that he is the victim of his upbringing and he is suffering under the same weight and under the same oppression of his ego as I'm suffering under the weight and oppression of my own ego. I understand the struggles of being a man, but, um, one of the things that really brought me closure and I'm glad I got to do it was I was able to say to him before we stopped speaking about six years ago, I was able to say to him, like what you did with my mom is unforgivable. I'm sorry. You know, I know you were doing the best you were doing. I know she's a button pusher and I know she has a huge part in it, but what you did is unforgivable. And his response was, I don't remember. And I said, I understand. I wouldn't want to remember either. Wow. So that's his truth. His truth is that it didn't happen or that he doesn't remember it happening. She clearly remembers it happening. And more importantly for my life and for the purpose of what we're talking about, I remember it happening. So tons of violence, sexual abuse, early drug use. It's easy to see now how someone who seemingly as ambitious and you know full of life and gregarious and engaging as me could wind up sticking a needle in my arm every 15 minutes just so I could go on just so I could cope mm. with life. Was it a matter of leaving your body? Cause I can imagine, you know, especially with the sexual abuse, just not wanting to be there for it. If it was, it was, if it was going to happen anyway, and it was, you're a pow powerless child. So in terms of the drug use, like, did it feel like it was leaving the body or was it more of a euphoric feeling of, that you were lacking in connection to people and yourself? I'd say both. I'd say both I, in the in the very beginning there was there was amazing things that happened to me. I was transformed in very very profound ways from psilocybin, from MDMA, from ketamine. There was a lot of amazing experiences, even on acid. The heroin and the crack and shooting coke and that stuff was much more about seeking oblivion and just not wanting to exist, mm -hmm. just to to blot out my existence. So there was an intense desire to feel euphoria and to feel pleasure, and. Uh, but then towards the end, there was an intense desire to just not exist anymore. And um, so both. Yeah. And how was the MDMA? Because I have I had a period in time where I was doing that quite a bit. How was that? And it was actually transformative for me in a lot of ways. Very much so. Yeah. What would you say about that? Like, what do you think was transformative about it for you? I, so I can remember, I can remember this very specific experience that I had there was a, a young kid, I knew him because I was friends with his mom's friend. He was much younger. He was probably late teens. I was like mid-20s. And I saw him at a rave, and I was just starting to mess around with MDMA. And I remember him like encouraging me to take more, and we're going to go to this party and whatever. And I started to tense up. You know, he's a very, very handsome kid, kind of a big you know, athletic kid. And, um, I felt that thing that I always felt that, that I felt threatened. I felt something's wrong or, or whatever. And, uh, ended up going with him to this guy's house and we took more and I got to that place that I don't even know, you know, we used to call it rolling. I don't know what kids call it today, but I was, I was high as a kite. I mean, yeah, my same. eyes were rolling in the back of my head and he had laid down next to me 
And he kept taking my trap, my, my trapezoid, I think that's what it's called. And he kept saying, buddy, relax. What's wrong? He could feel, he was empathic. Yeah. He, mm-hmm. he could feel the anguish because I'm ready to punch. I'm ready to fight. Like someone's going to cause me harm right now. I hated men. I hated men all throughout my, my, uh, my young, you know, my teens and my, tw- I hated men. And he kept saying, relax, relax. And he laid down next to me and I began to melt and I began to let go. And he just put his arm around me and we must have laid there for five hours, just laughing and talking. And he kept saying, you're fine, man. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. He yeah. just kept saying that. Mm-hmm. And he's such a beautiful little being. He's, um, his name is Callum. And um, he was the son of a very famous soccer player. Just super beautiful. He ended up becoming a huge model. I think he's still modeling in, in Europe right now. Um, but I had this moment where I came away from that experience far less violent and angry. And, um, and there were other less significant. That was the most significant moment I ever had in MDMA. That was like where my hatred and my fear and my anger towards men greatly dissipated. And, uh, and yeah, that, that would have taken 10 years of therapy, maybe maybe 20, maybe never, maybe never. I used to walk around like a little fire hydrant. I used to just (laughs) lift weights all day, six days a week. And if someone looked at me wrong, yes, yes. (laughs) And if someone were to look at me funny, I'm, I'm going to go at them. And here's the worst part. I'm not tough. But it didn't matter. It was, I was going to express that fear. I was going to get it out. I was going to challenge someone to a fight. And um, that stopped. That never happened again. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting with the MDMA and the therapeutic use that you could potentially have. You know, yeah. there's a lot a lot there and same with psilocybin and yeah. even acid at some parts. And um, But I just, you know, I find that very interesting to think about my experience at the end. It wasn't healthy, but there are various periods in time where I felt like it was such a beautiful- for sure. Melting and, and allowing. Sure. And there's a spiritual part of it, yeah. you know, which which people might say is true or false, you know, but I, I felt like for me, there was a spiritual growth element to it. MDMA has been used since the 50s in Europe for relationship therapy drug to treat alcoholism, to treat PTSD. It's a, it's a magical, powerful substance that should not be fucked with. It should be done in a clinical setting. If you're one of those people that can go to Burning Man once a year and take some MDMA or take some mushrooms and go back to being a normal adult, God bless you and more power to you. I'm not wired like that. I'm I'm the dude that is at Air One buying five bags of Pocky chips because my girlfriend's not with me and going to the house and like strategically hiding them all over the house <laughs> and then burying a bag when I'm alone, yeah. an entire bag until I'm doubled over sick. Like I, and I used to do it with Doritos. I feel like I've grown up a lot because mm. I no longer do Doritos. I do Pocky chips. Do you know Pocky chips? No, actually we don't. I actually okay. don't. Tell me more. They're, 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 Should we know about them? They're, if Doritos <laughs> made it- a chip that was all organic and actually like all natural ingredients, they taste just like Doritos. What? What's the? Yeah. Is it a root? No, no. So it's corn, but it's there's no MSG, there's no oh. chemicals, there's no food coloring, there's no nothing. But they taste like Cool Ranch Doritos, or they taste like Salsa Verde oh, Doritos. Wow. And I, wow. have, I have 
eaten so many that my stomach is hurting and thrown them in the garbage and piled and them back. Dug <laughs> classic. Dug in the garbage. Yeah, we've been. We've Have you ever been like there. poured like ketchup all over everything <laughs> and gotten it? Water. That's a good one. It's one of my favorites. I swear to God, in my life, the last bag of pocky chips that I bought. I had to dump coffee grinds, <laughs> wet coffee grinds on like top of it. Wiggling it off. <laughs> well, I'm so paranoid oh, about getting my brand new wood floors <laughs> yeah. dirty. I wouldn't dare go there in you there. Go. So I'm wired like that. I'm wired that, you know, if something is good, then I need massive, massive amounts of it. So for me and for other people that have addictive personalities or have a tendency or a predisposition towards addiction, stay away from drugs but if you're a normal person and and you're suffering um, and you're doing therapy and you're doing other things that aren't working, um, I'm I'm a huge proponent of it. I, I I think that stuff is you know same thing with psilocybin. When I when I did psilocybin, I it, it was just like the Callum Best experience, but it was the universe hugging me rather than Callum Best hugging me. It was yeah. the universe hugging me. And, um, and it was incredible and it told me everything I ever needed to know. Mm. And it, and it, and it whispered to me, this is your last time. And that was my last time. Oh, I love that. And that was like mm. 17 years ago. Wow. Uh, unfortunately, I continued doing drugs after that, meaning like heroin and yeah. crack and all that stuff. But that drug at that time told me you're done, son, it's over. I just gave you all the wisdom you ever need to wow. know, let it go. And unfortunately I didn't. I messed around with substances that I shouldn't have messed around with. And, um, you know, unless you're getting your leg amputated, you want to avoid opiates or unless you're getting, you know, some major, now I'm, I'm going to take that back. I, even with major surgery in your mouth, I've had multiple extractions now. And the amazing Dr. Hirsch in Malibu just said, look, it ain't worth it. Of course I can give you one or two Vicodin or Norco or whatever, but like, it's just not worth it. You're going to take three Advil and two Tylenol and you're good. And every single time I went through some mild discomfort, but I was good. Do you know how many people I've heard at 12-step meetings? I heard a dude from a wheelchair, uh, from a wheelchair, get out. tell a story about how he had been sober or clean. This yeah. is at another, he's talking about being clean and I was, you know, fucking, you know, 12 years and blah, blah, blah. And I got my tooth pulled out and I took some Vicodin continued taking Vicodin, got back on the heroin eventually, right? Because if you're going to, if uh, someone- so can't afford cheaper. it. If you, you just, yeah. Well, there, I mean, there's a multitude of things. If you if you try going vegan for a year and then someone gives you a ham, ham sandwich, chances are you're going to go for a filet mignon very soon, right? It's similar. Yeah. Once you get that taste, once you open Pandora's box, you're going to want more and bigger and better. Anyway, th this cat ended up high as a kite behind the wheel of a car, plowed into some family. Someone ended up dying. He ended up in prison. And now he's in a wheelchair for the rest of his life because he wanted to take Vicodin after a root canal. So I just don't, you know, and people ask me all the time, well, God, 16 years, couldn't you have a glass of wine? Couldn't you have a beer? Sure. But, but what if I'm wrong? Yeah. Or, or is it worth it? Or sure. Or sure. But then what? Then the, all the thousands of people, tens of thousands of people that have heard my message that have gained so much. Now it's like, oh yeah, this asshole, you know, went and made a bunch of money, got back on drugs. And here I am struggling with my sobriety. Fuck that. Yeah. No, I, God struck me sober and gave me a real big mouth and made me articulate. And so I'm just going to be the sober guy. <laughs> it's yeah. cool. I don't, you know, yeah. I don't do like, I don't, I don't do the 12 step meetings anymore. Like I don't, 
I'm not involved in that type of service, but I do a lot of other service work. And, you know, without that stuff, I, I, I wouldn't be here. Thank God for 12 step programs. They definitely saved my life. After a certain point for me, I had to stop sitting in a room talking about how sick I was and I had to go out and I had to do something about it. Yeah. At what point, remind me, did you make it out to LA? Because I know just LA, I, we, I think LA is a really special place. I think especially Malibu is a really special place, but it's just very interesting to talk to you, to talk to our friend Luke's story and, and talk about kind of the, the drugs and the self-destruction that has happened within these kind of like oasis seas, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just so, I'm curious about that. So how you came out here and then your experience. Yeah, I was like 22. I was turning 22, three days before I got here. And Luke and I have talked about this as well. Like I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident had I stayed in Ohio, I probably would be a functioning alcoholic. I probably would be one of those guys. As you do. Yeah. I literally was, every time I'm there, I'm like, wow, this is startling. Yeah. I would be at the blind pig right now. It's probably, yeah, I'd be getting (laughs) off work. I'd be at the blind pig eating some wings and having some beers and every now and then maybe having 10 or 15 beers and um, going home and arguing with my current wife about my ex-wife and, you know, trying to explain to my son who hates me from my first marriage to that he needs to get along to my daughter from my third marriage. Like I, I could see that was my life waiting to happen for me. And um, you come out here and things speed up very, very quickly, very quickly. And you have access to things that you just wouldn't have access to back there. Not that there's not drugs back there. It's there's so much time and there's so much money and there's such an intensity to the way that we live that you live a hundred lifetimes on the East Coast and the West Coast versus like a nice, slow, either sustained or miserable sustained existence back in those areas where there's just less going on. Agreed. Facts. Agreed. I was thinking too, there's uh, something that I thought about that I think is like a correlation that I kind of see between, you know, your experience as an addict and, and rich role. And that was where I was first introduced to you. And that was such a beautiful conversation, the times that you've had with him, but, and we've actually had a few addicts or former addicts on, and there's an interesting thing about where you guys have it all, you know, you have such a beautiful life, like mm-hmm. you're so healthy, all these things, but there is such an aspect to it where I've, I've noticed, and I'm curious if you agree that there is like a, this could all be gone or like there is a worthiness thing, or there is a like a disbelief almost at some points that like your life would be this good or that at some, you know, like if you're worthy or not of the success that you've had of like everything that you've brought into your life. There's a sense of guilt at times. Um, I alleviate that by being overly generous with the people that are close to me. My language of love is a gift giver. I love to give gifts and I love to give opulent gifts. I love to help strangers. I like to do good stuff and not get caught as I was taught and sometimes pretty extreme, sometimes financial. And I'm not telling you that to try to make you think I'm a good guy. I'm telling you it's a coping mechanism. There's something magical that takes takes place when I see someone struggling and I'm able to help them financially without them knowing it was me or just doing it and saying, hey, listen, um, I made a shitload of money. And I see how hard you're working and I know you got kids 
and I want you to take this and I want you to give it to your kids or put it in a, in a, in a bank account and let it grow, invest it, whatever you need to do. That, that doesn't make me a great guy. That makes me a guy with a little bit of common sense that so much has been done for me that I can do for others. And not, not the idiots that think that they can DM me on Instagram and I'm going to pay off their student loans or I'm going to buy their mama house or whatever. Because I get that every day. I literally get that every really? single day. Yeah, because I post some really douchey, pretentious, you know, shallow pictures on my Instagram because it gets the most likes and it sells the most books and it garners the most interest in my own personal brand. Not Sun Life. I would never put that shit on Sun Life's Instagram page because it's- it's kind of sad and reaching and pathetic, but my my world got very big very fast. And because I feed people in very, very wealthy areas and I don't ever ask them for anything, sooner or later, they want to be friends. They want to hang out. They like the dude from Ohio with the interesting Cinderella story. And it's much safer for them to say to me like, hey, do you want to you know, we're going on tour in Europe. Do you want to come? Or like, hey, I'm shooting a movie and wherever. Do you want to hop on our jet and come with me or like, Hey, I'm going to Vegas for the weekend. I got a jet picking me up in, you know, Van Nuys airport, just pull your car right up and you can get on and, and we can go. It, it's great. It's fun. It's exciting, but those ain't my jets and those ain't my penthouses. And I've said it over and over and over again. I live in a townhome. I drive a Volvo. You know, I live on a, what was a very modest salary. I'm not taking a salary right now just because the first quarter of every year is always super slow and we lose money. But uh, I, I alleviate the guilt by helping those that are closest to me or helping strangers and trying to do it anonymously if, if possible. The, the sense of worthlessness and self-hatred has dissipated a lot. It comes back in waves. Sometimes it will come like a freight train. Um, three years ago, three and a half years ago, when I sold a small piece of the company to raise money to open up more stores... I had more money in my bank than I'd ever seen in my life. And I went to a severe depression mm. and the amazing Rick Rubin, we were going to Dave Asbury's bulletproof conference in Pasadena, me and Rick and his girlfriend and my business partner. And we were, we were crossing a street and I was just like, I, I feel like I, you know, I'm falling into a hole. I was talking about my depression and, um, and I'm like, and there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. This doesn't make sense. I'm just really depressed. And he stops and he looks at me and he goes, you just got a bunch of money and you just realize that all those things that you thought were going to finally make you happy, don't. It's an inside job. I told you to meditate, go back to meditating. And it was gnarly. It was, you know, for a guy from Ohio, look, we're, we're in LA or I don't know, your listeners are probably East Coast, West Coast, whatever. Like when I say it was an astronomical amount of money, I mean- for a dude from Ohio and for a dude that was living under a bridge. But it was enough money that I could quit everything, move to Waco, Texas, buy a house and get uh, Joanna and what's his name to, to redo it. <laughs> that was my- That's that was, the dream. That's that the was dream. my fantasy. I just want to hang out with them. Oh my God. Um, but at that time, like I could have done that. That was like my parachute. Like I'm going to move to Waco, Texas, and I'm going to buy a house for 150 grand in cash, and I'm going to redo it for 150 grand in cash, and everything's going to be okay. That is true, and I could do that. I had more than enough money to do that. However, I would have to live there with me inside this head. Nothing changed. 
just a bunch more money came into my life. So yes, going from zero and homeless to making, you know, having a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yes, I got happier and happier and happier and happier. But when you go from making, you know, whatever, having a couple hundred thousand dollars, uh, nothing changes. In fact, it gets weird because now all of a sudden I could go get that Rolex and I could go get the big SUV version of the Volvo that I was driving and I could put a down payment on a, on a townhome. It doesn't mean shit. You know, once your needs are met, once you don't have to look at the prices on the menu anymore, once you can yes. fly first class, once you're never looking at the price of gas again, once you're there and you're happy, you're never going to get any more happy. That was, that, was, that was a heavy, heavy moment for me to encounter. Mm. And I've grown from it a lot. Mm. How have you, so you mentioned meditation. So are there other you know, forms of ritual and self-care that have really helped to, I can just imagine that like, you know, the, the addict part of your mind and just kind of having those memories, you know, you don't forget a lot of what you've been through that they can flash before you and it can cause anxiety. So how are you able to metabolize that and be as present as possible for the successes and in front of you that you've created for that and for a multitude of other challenges that come my way yoga yoga is the answer whatever your problem is yoga is the answer and i don't care if it's hot yoga or hatha yoga or ashtanga yoga or kundalini yoga or all of the above preferably because once you get a conviction about what is the right way then you're a danger yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep an open mind mm -hmm. you know if you're if you're a crossfitter, get do some yoga. If you're into yoga, go lift some weights. Mm. You know, if you're a big kundalini, try some ashtanga. Mm. If you're a vegan, think about the fact that maybe incorporating some animal products into your diet might be greatly beneficial for the essential fatty acids and the iron and the nutrients. If you're a hardcore Ohio, you know, I eat meat three times corn a day. Fed. Yeah, corn fed, you know. Try moving towards a plant-based diet. Always be fluid. Always be like water. I think Bruce Lee said that. Always be like water. So yoga is the answer for sure for all of my challenges. Secondary, most powerful tool is going to be sauna. And um, I don't care if it's my barrel sauna, which is hot, 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 you know, 220 degrees, or if it's my clear light far infrared sauna. Um, which is more for detoxification and fat loss. Um, I did that one last night and this morning. I did the barrel one the day before that. I'll just kind of bounce back around. Sauna sort of like forces you into meditation. The third tool is going to be meditation, but the way to meditate without finding a guru or putting a dot on your head or getting buying a turban or joining a cult, like a way to just get into meditation is go sit in a sauna you know, cross your legs or don't cross your legs. It doesn't really matter, but just sit in a sauna, close your eyes and focus on your breath. If you can count from one to 10 and then count from 10 to one backwards while focusing on your breath, if you can do that a few times in a row, which sounds so easy, you're on your way to becoming an enlightened master because chances are you're going to get to six mm -hmm. or seven, or you're going to go backwards and you're going to get to nine and and then a thought is going to come in and it's totally okay. It's totally okay. Your thoughts are supposed to come in. If you ever sit down in a sauna or sit in a cave or sit in a comfortable chair and you are without thoughts, 
call the psychiatrist. Because <laughs> they're not gonna, alive. Yeah, it, it ain't going to happen. Or, yeah, or call the morgue and yeah. have them come pick you up. Um, so uh, yoga, sauna, um, exercise, and- Crystals. Crystals. I love crystals. I love being around crystals. I'm surrounded have by crystals. Have you ever crystals. had people steal your crystals? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I had something really, really funny happen where- Two crystals got stolen from the Point Doom location. And um, one of them, someone just walked in and stole when we weren't looking. But one of them, I was clearing it because I wanted my customers to feel the good energy. So I went and I put it outside in the sun. I turned my back and I turned around, it was gone. <gasps> there was no car. There was no people. There was no nothing. And I'm like, is this like the Irish folklore? Little people came and stole my <laughs> giant crystal, yeah. right? That crystal disappeared. You're like, that crystal's done with this lifetime. That was it. It's out of it. Then someone went down to Cross Creek. You've been to Cross Creek, right? And you see the big ones that are in the garden. Mm -hmm. Someone just walked up and grabbed a giant one and walked off with it. And they tracked him down. They got him on camera. The kids that work for me, they called security. They called, uh, they called security. It was a homeless guy with a dog and they had tracked him down. Crystal was gone. I'm sure he sold it for, you know, 20 bucks or whatever. And they came back and they were all like fired up and excited. These were guys that work for me. And they said, what do you, you know, should we call the sheriff? Should we, and I said, no, just, um, just tell him not to come back. Just tell him not to do it again. And I kind of laughed and I thought, I wonder how much money he got. Cause I paid thousands for that crystal. And I'm like, I wonder how much money he got for that. I'm like, I wonder what, I wonder what he did with that money. And across the street is a place called Malibu Kitchen. And the first $100 bill I ever got when I was still homeless, but newly sober, I went into Malibu Kitchen and I bought this sandwich. I think it's in the book. <laughs> and my teeth were falling out of my head. So I had to be very careful about how I bit into this sandwich because it was on a toasted seated baguette and a tuna sandwich on a toasted seated baguette. And when I, when I took the sandwich to my face and I, and I smelled it, and it was the first honest $100 bill I'd had you know, that I had paid for, that I earned from working for this guy named Daryl, um, who strangely enough, I saw today, who also strangely enough is the guy that builds all the tables for Sun Life now. Oh, they're wow. beautiful. Which we didn't put together until wow. years later. No way. Yeah, so Daryl Cobb, when I raised my hand at a 12-step meeting and I said, I don't have any money to feed myself. Can anyone please give me work? This gay couple, Chris and Glenn, and this guy named Daryl both came up to me after the meeting. Chris and Glenn were like, yeah, come clean our apartment. And Daryl was like, meet me at Starbucks tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. And I'll give you some work. So Daryl was the first one to give me work. I thought about what that dude did with the money that wow. he got from the crystal. And I was kind of, I don't want to say, I was a little bit like tickled pink by it. Like I thought it was like kind of cool. <laughs> like this dude just like, yeah, there's a bunch of crystals sitting around. Grab one. There's no one around. <laughs> totally. Go. So I'm telling my friend Shelby about this and she's dying laughing. She's like, you've got to be kidding me. She's like, you don't even, you're not even mad. I'm like, no, why would I get mad? They're not my crystals, right? They were in the belly of this beautiful earth and these miners dug them out and I paid them money and I keep them around me to give, give me energy. And I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to sound like some, Ooh, I'm a spiritual guy. They're not my crystals. They're not my crystals. None of this shit is ours. We are the lucky recipients of being able to experience this realm of existence that God has blessed us with, yeah. right? It's not my money. This ain't my money. Yep. If I go give someone hungry, you know, if I go to air one and someone's out front, I throw them a 20 or whatever. It doesn't make me a good dude or a spiritual yeah. dude. That makes me a dude that's just barely scratching the surface of, of, 
of consciousness and understanding that we are all the same. We're, we're all the same. I sat with a man yesterday and he's telling me how he's having difficulty accepting the fact that his son is gay. And I'm like, we're all gay. We're all black. We're all like, you can't, you can't wear your Tom Ford and tell me that you hate gay people. You can't, you know, like what would the world be like without gay people? What would the world be like without black people, without Mexican people, without Arabs, without, we're all the same. We're all the same. It's just so silly. So I'm telling Shelly this story um, about the crystal. And then she's like, you're not going to believe this. And she pulls up a story on the internet about how another, let's just say food service place had a crystal stolen from it. And the person that owned the establishment went on a rampage and posted this big thing about how dare you steal, you know, my crystal and blah, blah, blah. And some famous poet, I think his name is like John Misty, or I don't know what the poet's name is, but he wrote a rebuttal to her shaming someone for taking this crystal. He wrote this scathing rebuttal, basically saying like, what is wrong with you? Like, and then it went viral and then people actually went and built like a paper mache crystal, like an <laughs> homage to like, to be smart asses. And they like put it on the roof of the building of the place. And I'm like, Bless. thank God, <laughs> thank God that I come from the background of being homeless and being penniless and knowing what that man and his dog feel like. When people say, you know, all oh, those goddamn bums, I'm like, hey, 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 they're not bums. They're homeless. Many of them are homeless because they choose to be homeless, just like I chose to be homeless. So I'm not asking you to have a bunch of like, oh my God, and we have to go take them all off the streets and put them in houses. 70% of them would probably leave and go back right to where they were. I know that from personal experience, right? I, I, again, this isn't a crusade to be a do-gooder or, or whatever, but it's like, Let's just be, let's just be human. Let's be human and understand that we're mm -hmm. all fighting a fierce battle. We're, we're, what you were asking about in terms of the guilt and the fear and what if it all goes away, whatever. I drove my CFO nuts this morning. I called her up and I was just God, like- I dream of the day we have a CFO. I can drive <laughs> fucking crazy. I drove, I drove <laughs> I her. I cannot wait. I went on this rant, this like 30 minute diatribe and she's a mom. So, she, you know, she's got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So she knows how to deal with me. <laughs> and she waited until I was done and gassed myself out. And she said, Khalil, we always lose money in the first quarter. I'm like, we do? She goes, yeah, we do. We always lose money in the first quarter. We make a little bit of money in the second. We make a shitload of money in the, th like it balances itself out. Cause I, I woke up this morning, like, oh my God, it's sunny. There's lines out the door at all the stores and we're hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And there's $15,000 in my checking account in, 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 uh, in Sun Life's checking account. How in God's name can there be $15,000 in our checking account when we're doing $14 million a year in sales? Well, she broke it down and explained it to me. And that is the last time I call her and complain. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it's just life. It's business. You There's ups that. and downs. So I'm living in fear right now. I'm going to have some sleepless nights until the second quarter rolls around, until it's July, and until there's a bunch of money in our coffers and all of our lines of credit are paid off. And, and that's just life. No, no one told me to go open up 10 stores with four more coming. No one told me to do that. I did I that did. on my own. 
You did? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I told in. you. You got my note. <laughs> but I, I wanted it. you to do that. Uh, so the nutrition part of your recovery, like what, you know, if you're creating this health food store, like you're treating your body like shit for so long. What was that story in correlation between your nutritional journey and your nutritional healing with what you were eating um, and your recovery? I mean, my, so I was so depleted and emaciated. And if you look at that picture on the book, I mean, that was me at 109 pounds um, with open sores all over my body and my teeth falling out of my head. So I was- Is that a jail pick? That is a first day of rehab pick. Mm. Uh, Jail picks are on the inside. Mm. She can show you the the mug shots. Um, So that was, uh, yeah, that's a jail pick. Yo, your highlights are uh, wow. That Billy Billy Joel <laughs> type hair, yeah, is Billy, classic. Billy Joel, the punk rock singer, yeah, exactly. Not, okay, yes, <laughs> I'm dating. Rock. I'm dating myself. Yeah, no, no, the punk yeah. rocker. <laughs> um, wow. So I was so depleted and I looked so bad that when I started to first incorporate raw coconut cream, uh, maca powder, spirulina, um, colostrum. Um, Cow's colostrum, cow and goat actually. Um, and colostrum is mother's wh- milk. Yeah, what's in the udder before it's? Isn't it like the very basis of what milk is created from? Or like, why is it different than whey protein? I guess. So, um, when a mammal first gives birth, for the first seventy-two hours, they release colostrum from their breast or from their udders or whatever the politically correct term is called. And there is so much, you ever seen a horse born and it's all like spindly or a deer, it's all like weird. And then like two days later, it's like this majestic animal. (laughs) That's because there's so much IGF-1 growth factor in colostrum. And I'm probably mispronouncing it, but I took massive amounts of colostrum, um, massive amounts of vitamin greens, pure synergy powder, spirulina, chlorella. Um, I was doing cleanses, every type of cleanse I could get my hands on. And people uh, people really appreciated my enthusiasm. There was a lot of benefactors in my early recovery. There wasn't just like Daryl and Chris and Glenn letting me clean their apartment. If you read my book, you'll hear there was all kinds of people that really, they were just good to me. I mean, even like this woman, Cindy Landon, like if I would even bring something up like a cleanse, she would be like, oh, get three of them. I want one. And there's get one for my assistant and I'll pay for yours. Like, So I was always doing these cleanses uh, there was this woman named Pietra that had a uh, the first far infrared sauna that I had ever seen, and she would make me get in this far infrared sauna and scrub my body from head to toe with this boar's head bristle brush. Did I say that right? You know those Sounds brushes right. yeah. they sell at yeah. Whole Foods that are made out. They're really coarse. Like, yeah, they're made yeah. out of boar's After hair. Your dry brushing or dry brushing, but I would do it in the sauna. Wow, on niacin. Oh, Less. so it's like, especially like your blood vessels are so open. So open and I'm Whoa. pouring sweat and she's having me drink this alkaline water and she's putting, um, uh, what do you call it? People don't do it as Please much Please say anymore. something of your butt. She, she did. <laughs> like a coffee enema? No, uh, ozone. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. She oh, yeah. was putting ozone in, in your butt. In my butt. What is it? Oh, in your butt. Oh, I've in only been in a- Go ahead. You've been in an ozone chamber. Like, yeah, like in a little bag. Yeah. Did mm-hmm. you ever inject it? No. So I did it in- intravenously as well. But wow. uh, is that a trigger? No. Oh. No, I get IVs all the time. Okay. Like nothing, I, didn't nothing, know, nothing, I don't know. Nothing's a trigger okay. anymore. Yeah. You guys could be mashing up 
you know, speed balls in front of me right now. It's usually I, what we do. Yeah, well, I figured. <laughs> I saw the crystals, and I'm like, these girls are into some weird stuff. Um, so Pietra, yeah, she would get me on all these, like, colostrum, freeze-dried colostrum, and in the far infrared sauna. And then I joined, um, I don't know if it was called Spectrum at the time, but there was a gym at Sunset and PCH, and I could just barely afford. Oh, yeah. And I would go there every single day and get in that sauna, sometimes for hours. And I don't mean that, like, I'm not like exaggerating. Like I would I'm go sure. in for 20 minutes. I would take the niacin. I would scrub my body. I would take an ice cold shower for five minutes. I would get back in and just literally just drink, you know, a gallon of distilled water and purge and, and cleanse my body. So nutrition was, nutrition was monumental because if you're an addict and you feel shitty, you're only going to feel shitty for a certain period of time. You can only sit on your hands for a certain period of time, right? Sooner or later, if you feel shitty, you're going to go to what feels great. And it's easy. You know, people don't, people don't relapse because they're bad people. People relapse because it feels fucking amazing. Unfortunately, a lot of times you die. And you can't gauge when that's going to be. I just am one of those people that was so down and out that when God struck me sober or the grace of God shined light on my pathetic, pathetic existence, um, I just was like, you know what? I don't feel like I'm going to get a second chance. And I looked around at everybody that was like, oh my God, I'm going to be sober forever and this is amazing. And I'm like, really? I want to get high. I was very vocal and very honest about that for you know, a good year and a half in, I would tell my friends regularly, like, I really want to get high. And they'd be like, okay, let's go to a meeting. I really want to get high. Okay, well, let's go get a juice at that store where that cute girl works. You know, I really want to get high. Well, let's go to Air One. I mean, I was like a broken record. Let's go jump in the ocean. Let's go work out. Wow. Let's go for a hike. And so then once I got some time under my belt and I started to work with addicts and alcoholics, I just did the same shit. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I don't have initials in front of my name or behind my name, but I feel like I am far more qualified than any doctor or any therapist to, to advise somebody on their hopeless state of despair because I've been there. I don't, I don't care how many initials you have in front of your name or behind your name, unless I can feel you have true empathy and, and, and you can understand where I've been, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to shut down. How has it changed your relationship with God, like getting sober? And what was it like when you were? My relationship with God was always, why don't you love me? How could you do this to me? Why don't you love me? How could you do this to me? How could you let this happen? Never doubted the existence of God. Uh, even though it was a rocky you know, upbringing, I always had a sense of God. I paid attention to spring and I used to play with the little bunnies. Well, you grew up in Ohio. You know, there was like the bunnies and there was the rabbits and there was the birds and um, the minnows in the creek and the leeches and the crayfish. Like I definitely had a good relationship with nature because it was the only relationship that I could really authentically have. Mm. I just wasn't allowed to go at, you know, go to kids' houses with the exception of one kid um, named Teddy Pappenhagen. And his mom, his mom took me in and, you know, kind of cared for me as well. But between Mrs. Dolores Pappenhagen and Teddy um, and nature, that was, that was the only love I was going to get. And, and, uh, and so, you know, how, how could you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen to me to thank you, God, for my sobriety. Thank you, God, for my sobriety. God, can you please be with me right now? Can you please hold my hand? There's a moment in my book where I get on my knees and I ask God 
to to be with me. And there was an instant lifting. There was an instant knowing, realizing the presence of of my creator, of our creator. And um, from that moment going forward, I, I never wanted to let that go. I never wanted to take that for granted. So to this day, I pray before every meal. Um, I pray just randomly. I'll talk to God when I'm driving. I'll be down at the beach. And hopefully I'm saying it internally, but something tells me I'm probably like saying shit out loud. I'm like one of those crazy people at the beach. Like, Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you for this perfect health, this perfect wealth, say, and this I'm perfect like, love. Honestly. Everyone that sounds crazy in LA, I'm like, they've got a good point. Yeah. And a lot of times like the crazy quotes, homeless person, I'm like, yeah. they kind of may- making sense. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. always like down with the man. He's watching everything you do. I'm like, that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, he's right. Yeah. Be careful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and Tony Robbins also says like, when you say your incantations out loud, it's much, much more powerful. So I often will like loud as I can be, you know, thank you God for this perfect health, this perfect wealth and this perfect love. I say a lot of positive stuff like that. I'm a huge fan of Norman Vincent Peale's The Power of Positive Thinking. I'm a huge fan of Think and Grow Rich. Um, I'm a huge fan of anything and everything Tony Robbins does. And one of my, one of my many gurus, even though I don't believe in having a guru, but I believe in having many gurus. One of my gurus is Oprah Winfrey because when I was withdrawing, I was like 30 years old and I was withdrawing. My girlfriend was in treatment and I was, kicking is awful. They call it kicking because your legs literally will involuntarily kick out and spasm. And so I'm kicking on the sofa and I'm going through this horrible withdrawal and I had just about overdosed on, um, on uh, what was the show about the mob that was so popular on HBO? Sopranos. 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 Mm-hmm. I had just like overdosed. Like if I saw one more episode of Sopranos, <laughs> I was going to kill myself. And uh, we still had money at the time. And so I just, I turned the DVD player off dating myself. Um, and it was one of the TVs that had the built-in DVD player. Oh, yeah. Really dating myself. Um, <laughs> you blew on it before you put it in. Your- <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I turned it off and there was, um, I don't know what it was, if it was a Lifetime special, if it was a VH1. I don't know what it was and I should know what it was, but it was it was the life story of Oprah. And it wasn't like she was doing it. It was like someone else was doing a behind the scenes of what happened to this woman and how did she get to become... I just assume like she's this like pretty charismatic woman that through nepotism or because she lived in Hollywood or, you know, whatever. I assumed that that's how she became what we called Oprah. I think at that time I still called her Oprah. I had no idea that Oprah was born in the South. I I never took into consideration what it must be like to be born black at that time in the South. I never thought about her struggles with her weight because- I never thought about her weight. I always just loved her. I mean, I think we all did, right? I think yeah. she struggled with her weight. I don't or her think- abuse. Yeah. Well, that's the part that I really didn't know. And as I yeah. was laying there withdrawing from heroin and feeling totally raw and totally vulnerable, she they, they, they started talking about how she was raped and how she was molested and how, I think it was even her own uncle. Um, and then they yeah. talked about how she was pregnant as an early teen. And I thought to myself- I don't have any excuses. How could I ever again say, well, I was molested and I was abandoned and that's why I'm a junkie. How could I ever say that again? Because here this woman went through the same shit that I went through and worse and she helped a billion people. 
And that never left me. I went back to using, but that never left me. And as time went on and I sort of got my shit together and I started to watch the show again and then the the advent of the O network happening and all that stuff, I just, I I would watch that and I would think to myself, this woman clearly doesn't need to work anymore. She could go 10 more lifetimes without ever working again, right? But she continues to work because she loves what she does and she loves helping people. And she is the proof that it doesn't matter what you go through. That's not an excuse to get high. So the truth of the matter was I didn't get high because my swim coach molested me or my brother molested me. I didn't get high because I witnessed violence as a kid. I got high because it felt good. I got high because I was awake and I got high because I'm fucking selfish. And it doesn't matter if it hurts you or if it hurts you, give me your ATM card, give me your pin number, give me the keys to your car. I'm going to go get us some shit. I'll be back in an hour. And three days later, I'm going to show up looking like something the cat drug in and your car is going to be crashed and your debit card is going to be emptied and you're going to have to call the police on mm-hmm. me because I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. And I didn't bring you back your drugs. I was that guy at the end. Yeah. Wow. It's pathetic. I mean. It's pathetic. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I love that you said Oprah. She's a true, she's a true G and it is someone that you do see her success and you are like, wow. But then- Hearing her story again is such a reminder. And she's my boundary goals. She's very, she's so big. She has very good boundaries mm. and like ability to be present. And um, I always think of her when I think of that. Um, last question for me. I know I wanted to talk about the EMF thing for your yeah, cell phone. Sure. So I saw um, his case and it is, who makes it? This one is made by Safe Sleeve. Um, the one I normally have is a Defender Shield. And then they are, it has shungite in it, which is a blocker of EMFs, which obviously come from your cell phone. Um, and so what, why do you have that? Um, I'm really super sensitive to EMF stuff. And if I have just a bare phone against my head and I talk for hours at a time, which I often do, as you can tell, um, I would get really bad pinching headaches. Yeah. I would have sleepless nights. Um, I would have low sex drive, um, low energy. And I had no idea it was because my cell phone was eating me alive. And so um, Rick Rubin turned me on to the Defender Shield and um, almost instantly, just like with the nutrition stuff, I responded so well. Um, So then I took it a step further. Luke Story introduced me to a guy named Brian, or it might've been Ben Greenfield, but one of those, they're all friends. And this cat came out when I was building my house, like, redoing my townhome and we actually put like mesh underneath the floors to block emfs we put stuff in the walls to block emfs my blinds that go down have emf blocking material on them um all my walls are painted with a with a paint that has like a shungite in it Mm -hmm. so it blocks any so like when i go into my bedroom at night i try to use my ipad or my phone it won't work yeah because it's not getting any but I sleep like, you know, like a baby. Yeah. Have you seen the underwear? There's a company that has um, blankets. I've talked about it before for pregnant women. So they put them over their bellies if they're ever on a computer or anything like that. Amazing. Block CMFs, but they also have underwear for men. Okay. That blocks EMF. You put cell phones in your pocket. I never put cell phone in my pocket. You don't? No, never. And I always use a Defender Shield pad that's like this big. They sell them on Amazon. You put it on your lap. You put your laptop yeah. on top of it. And um, 
Yeah, I don't. I don't that that stuff's evil. I, I, it is hundred percent. I wonder with men. You know, they've talked about lower sex drive with men, and people are having sex less than ever. And I think there's so much of that. You know, that we can EMF, go on forever. But I think EMF, EMF probably has plastics, a lot more to do with it. Plastics in the in the water bottles. Yeah, birth EMF, control in birth the water. Control. Yeah. But yeah, the EMFs is interesting. I've never thought about that role in it because all men keep their phone by their pockets. It's by the bed. It's in the bed. They're on the phones all the time. And I mean, I bet that has more to do with it than what I was thinking was, was just the water, just the plastics, things like that. Yeah. I mean, you can, yeah, there's thousands of case studies and you can go online and you can see, you know, people that always held their phone in the right hand and, you know, to the right ear that got the tumors right here. I mean, my best friend, Teddy Papenhagen, Dolores' son, he was a pharmaceutical sales rep and was on his phone eight hours a day and mysteriously got a giant tumor right by near where he was holding his phone. So yeah, that shit's real. I mean, we're not going to know about it for decades. Just like, you know, just like they told our parents that cigarette smoking wasn't bad for them. Right? Eyes rolled in the back of head. Yeah. I mean, come on. There sure. were doctors. People don't know this. Your listeners probably don't know this because they're not old enough to know this, but they used to have doctors in cigarette ads promoting cigarette smoke, promoting smoking. Doctors. You can look it up. Yeah. I still can't believe people were allowed to smoke on planes. Yeah. I'm already having a hard time with the stagnant air on planes and I to know. think that there was cigarette people smoke. People are juuling now. Yeah, jewels. Oh, Have yeah. you heard of that? No, of That's course. huge. Of course. <laughs> None of the people at work jewel. <laughs> there's um, a couple. We discourage it, but there's a couple. Yeah. yeah. Shame them. <laughs> yes, of let's, course. Let's shame them. I did. That's the only answer. Bring them I out did. on the line. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would love to wrap up by talking about Sun Life. It is such a, a unique and special place. Not only um, is the food incredible and smoothies so and everything, you can just trust it. I love walking into a place and just being able to trust whatever I You can order, feel it. Yeah, you, know? you can feel it. Um, but but the sense of community there is palpable. You yeah. know, any any store that I've walked into, um, one, everyone is young. So I see like high school and mm-hmm. not everyone, but majority are. Um, and and so I'm I'm curious as to why you made that decision to hire younger people and and I know you are um, just by default, but I'm sure I know you're more active than that, but like a mentor to them so yeah. in a lot of ways. More so in the beginning. And in the beginning, it was just my partner and I, Haley, and um, we didn't have any employees. So I just, like the girl that was at the coffee bean every day, who was, I don't know, 20 something, 22, I asked her if she wanted a job. And then my two neighbors, Mike, and I can't think of the other guy's name, but they both asked me if their daughters could work for me. And that was how it started. Um, it would be a lot easier to hire older people, a lot easier. Um, the majority of kids that come to work at Sun Life have never had a job before. Um, many of them don't need jobs. Um, so it cost us 1100 something dollars to train each new kid, um, mostly because they've never had jobs before. Um, it takes six weeks to train them. Older people typically don't apply. And if they do apply, they apply for the corporate positions. So all of our corporate positions, everybody's like in their thirties, you know, forties, fifties, whatever. Um, the whole company is run by women and one gay man, uh, or no, sorry, two, two, three. The whole company is run by women and gay men. Um, <laughs> that was not by design. That's how it evolved. Um, I don't, um, that's not true. It's not that I don't know how 
Um, I just been told over and over again, don't mention that. And I mention it over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. Because, because people say, well, then you're being, you're being, uh, prejudiced against straight males or you're being, what do they call it? Uh, discriminatory against straight males. And I'm not, we've had straight males come in to the corporate positions. It's just women do a better job and that's, that's reality. And I don't, I don't think you don't have to be smart to understand if you want something to run right, let a woman run it because who runs the household? Mm -hmm. You learn that shit when you're a kid. Who runs the household? What if dad ran the household? Forget about my dad. That would have been, we all would have been dead. But what what if dad ran the household? You'd all starve and die of diphtheria, right? Mom runs the household. Mom not only raises the kids, many of the moms out there are working at the same time and cleaning and cooking and do, moms are like fucking super women, right? So I've got women that have those innate capabilities to create a nurturing, loving nest. And that is what I desire in order to be able to function under these high stress situations. Sun Life Organics was a gift put in my lap by divine feminine energy. The name came to me from the ether. The logo, which is a pink lotus, which you, you couldn't get any more feminine than yeah, a pink lotus, right? So. The logo is feminine. The store smells feminine when you go inside. 90% of the employees are, are female. Um, it just it just happened that way. I wish I were that smart. I wish I were that creative. Like, I'm going to hire all women and gay men, and I'm going to hire a bunch of young, happy, healthy, you know, good-looking people. That, that just happened. It, it, it happened organically, pun intended. Um, in the beginning, I had an amazing idea that I was blessed with, but I have very, very, very little to do with what makes Sun Life Organics amazing today. What makes Sun Life Organics amazing today are the people that work there and the people that shop there or the people that come in there and drink the juices and the smoothies and the bowls. Yes, it's 100% certified organic, which most places aren't. I would... Almost all places aren't. I mean, the only I go to Whole Foods and I go to Sun Life. Whole Foods is not my fave anymore. Yeah, I feel like it's shifted. I just know where their ingredients are coming from, yeah. so mm-hmm. I trust them. You're one though. You're one. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, you said Whole Foods. Oh my god. <laughs> I know, honey. I, I know. Holy shit. <laughs> I know. I was thinking whole organic, wholesome. Holy shit. I know. Do you see how they have us duped? Damn. Yo, whole, that's, whole Foods. Yo, that's the truth. I was like, he cannot be talking about Whole Foods right now. Whole Foods. I'm on Lincoln Boulevard yo, like eight yeah. years ago, which is the hottest nightclub in LA, right? Honestly. Every, every model, every. I'm there and I'm ordering my juice as I always did. And I'm looking at the produce and I'm like, God, that ginger is huge. And I'm like, wait, why is that kale so big? Now I'm buying $40,000 a week of organic produce. I know what organic produce looks like. It's dented, it's bruised, it's browning, it's, mm-hmm. you know, the edges are frayed, whatever. Ginger is like skinny and bright yellow. And I'm at Whole Foods. And I say to the, to the dude making my juice, is that stuff organic? And he gives me this rehearsed pat answer, this like, I'm out. Well, we can't, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, dude, just don't, don't hustle me. Is it organic or not? And he's like, well, but what happens? I'm like, can you get the manager? Manager comes over, super cool. I'm like, do me a favor. Just talk to me like we're both human beings. Is this shit organic or not? He's like, no. Wow. I'm like, but all of that is organic. Everything you're selling out there is organic. 
You're known as an organic grocery store. Why is your juice bar not organic? Wow. And he's just like, sorry. And so I go to Air One. Sorry, thank you for correcting me. <laughs> I go yeah. to Air One and I go to Sun Life. Yeah. And and we, you know, I know the owner, he knows me. I know the dudes that run it. I know Yuval. I know um Victor, the main dude that runs all of them. We swap stories, we share vendors. Like nice. I, I know even employees, like employees nice. will come back and forth. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I'll have employees come from other places that like they share stories that would turn your stomach inside oh, and out sure. from places that claim that they're 100% organic. Legally, by law, everyone should know this out there. Yes. You can say made with organic ingredients legally if one tiny thing inside is organic, meaning that 99% of everything in that product can be not organic and loaded, po- loaded with poison and chemicals and toxins but if there's one organic ingredient, you are legally allowed to say made with organic ingredients. It's a play on words. Do you understand that? Oh, they yep. find a hundred ways to play on words. Yeah. That's and the how, whole thing. And how about, how about when they say to you, um, when they say, well, we're organic whenever possible. What does that Classic. mean? Are you out of your mind? I could get at three o'clock tonight, 3 a.m. tonight. I could have 20 pounds of organic produce. I could have 20,000 pounds of organic produce dropped off on your doorstep. We live in LA. Pretty much anywhere in the country, you can get organic produce now. Walmart is selling organic produce. And by the way, Whole Foods does sell organic produce. They just don't make their juices organic. Mm. Air One does. I know that for a fact. I love Air One. Um, I don't understand that. My life. They would just have to charge more. Is that the whole thing? And they want to keep... Like I'm just confused. It's a shifty way to cut costs. Yeah, I don't know, man. It, 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 it makes me really, really sad. Mm. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful for Sun Life. I'm I'm as big a fan as as anybody. I am now just sort of riding the wave. I don't run the company. I don't hire. I don't fire. I don't have anything to do with running the company. Um, I I let the people who are running it run it. They're doing an amazing job mm. at it. And um. And yeah, that sense of community that you feel when you walk in there, that sense of authenticity, that's just a mirror that you're looking at. That's just truly, I go into wherever. I go to Pasadena, I go to USC, I go to Century City, I go to Manhattan Beach, I walk in. Half the time, they don't even know who I am anymore. Really? Yeah, there's 400 employees now. Oh, I feel like they're like, 400. <laughs> sometimes they yell. Crowd goes wild. So, yeah, sometimes they yell. Sometimes oh. they're like, oh my God, I read your book. And, you know, my mom read your book. Sometimes they do that. But for the most part, like, I go in, everyone behind the counter is smiling. Everyone's happy. Everyone's just stoked to be there. And, um, and if I ever walk in and I don't see people laughing and happy behind the counter, that's when I'm failing. And that's when I'll step in and say, hey, guys, something needs to change. But for right now, Sun Life Organics is its its own thing. It's evolved into this amazing lighthouse in the storm for all of us, myself included, that you can walk in and you can get like amazing sustenance that's going to detoxify you, nurture you, fortify you, give you massive amounts of energy. And it doesn't matter if you're a vegan or paleo or primal or whatever weird moniker you want to place on yourself. Um, we live in LA where, you know, you could rob a bank with a all. stick of bread <laughs> <I know. laughs> or so, fruit. Now I fruit's know, evil. I know. Don't eat fruit. You'll die. Like, Come on, people. Too much time on our hands. Really? <laughs> but so but true. anyway, yeah, I, I'm, I'm super stoked. Um, I love doing what I do. 
I love the fact that the book is doing so well. I'm finishing up my second book. Oh, wow. tell us more. Uh, second book is is a prescriptive book. It's it's. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's mm. how you can yep. achieve the same results. Wow. How you can you know whatever make money like be healthy, find God, whatever. I'm just putting all my little secrets in there, all the books that I've read, all the recipes, all the things that I did. It'll all be inside the second book. And the second book, the working title right now is Remembering to Live. Um, I'll probably self-publish that one as well because every time one of those sells, I make seven bucks. No way. Yeah, yeah, you should definitely self-publish. Yeah, I don't know shit about the industry, but- it's pretty brutal. What I, so, what I know is heard. it's bullshit. Yeah. So I'll probably self-publish that. Working on a documentary right now. So I'm, I'm more like moving off in the direction of like wanting to reach as many people as possible because I have a very finite amount of time left on this planet. I'll be 50 in October and time moves very quickly. I don't even remember last summer. How fast did last summer go by? I know. Right? It, even this like, year already. I'm like, like that. No, like, no. La- like summer flew by so fast and I have to logically and realistically look at myself in the mirror and say, how many summers do you have left? I don't mean in mm-hmm. a wheelchair or I don't mean like on a sofa and I'm not able to move, but how many more summers do I have left where I can do podcasts, where I can date, where I can run, where I can jump, where I can do yoga, where I can whatever. Like, I hope it's 20 more, but 20. Oh, at least. I, listen, <laughs> I, I have no idea. Less. I hope. Yeah. But because I have such a short amount of time left, I want to I wanna use my talents to the best of my ability to help as many people as I can um, before I exit this planet. I want to leave it a little bit better off than when I found it. And, you know, when I pulled in today, I cringed because- I know, I do every day. No, <laughs> right? I know the feeling. Ohio, Ohio, and- uh, Oh, Rochester. I can't remember the name, but that was the first outpatient- outpatient oh, clinic yeah. that I went to. In Ohio? No, no, no. On Ohio right, Avenue. Oh, right, is there an outpatient over there? It was a dude's apartment that I had remember, some yeah. shady doctor and you would pay like, you know, 600 bucks and they would just illegally prescribe you Valium, Soma, Vicodin, whatever. And what like, it was <laughs> I was, I was going there and being fake clean and sober by taking a bunch of drugs and they would make us go to this miserable meeting in a park. And one day I looked up while I was sitting at this meeting, it wasn't a 12 step meeting. It was just a meeting that this guy like made up so he could justify Ill- illegally dispensing drugs to you. And I looked up and the street was, um, Oh God, now I'm going to forget. That's such a good story. Um, it was Missouri, but it looked like misery. Oh yeah. <laughs> and the other street was stoner. It was stoner and misery, which is right around the corner from here. It's right next to the LA, the West LA police department. And to go from that pathetic state where I was like, you know, going and getting drugs and living that existence to where I am now to where hopefully at least one person out there is going to hear this message and go, shit, man, if that guy can do it, I can do it too. Yeah. At least one person will hear. Oh, for sure. And also- uh, don't come to our house. What? Now that they kind of know where we live. <laughs> don't come to where we record. <laughs> Stoner and Missouri. Yeah, yeah exactly. right around there. Yes. <laughs> oh, this was so much fun and just kind of a, a dream for us. Yeah. We really, Thank you. We've always connected with 
your story and obviously Sun Life were there a lot. Yeah. Text me next time so I can treat you guys. We will. Oh, please. Okay. <laughs> we will. No, like, seriously. Hey, do you have $12 for this? <laughs> Every time I'm there, I'm like, how is this running? Because the kids are so young. <laughs> now that I feel old, I'm like, how is this store like running? No joke. They do it. I don't, I don't know. know. Crazy. But I it's mean, the most beautiful thing because it just like yeah. empowers them and enables them. And it's just like, it just blows me away. And exposes them to healthy food yeah. is what I'm thinking about. Like, it's, you know, it's changing, it's changing yeah. the world. And listen, every other food place out there is bussing poor people in from, you know, downtown yeah. LA or wherever, bussing them in, throwing them in hairnets and sticking them in the back. And, and it's hot. It's sweltering hot there, especially in the summer. It's a miserable experience. And all of the great masters that I studied, Paramahansa Yogananda, Krishnamurti, everybody said, be very, very careful who's preparing your food because yeah. you are eating their energy. Energy, I was good. Yeah. So these kids came in for jobs and then more kids came in for jobs and then more kids came in for jobs. And the next thing you know, I got 400 kids working at this company for the most part, you know, some are 30, some are 35, but yeah, like smoothie shop, juice bar, yeah. wow. you know, you're 16, you want a cool job. You, you know, the, the guys that owns it has mm -hmm. kind of an interesting story. So all these kids work there, but you know, how many hundreds of times have I been told by people a thousand times smarter than me, get rid of all these kids. You don't need eight kids behind the counter. You need three adults. You will cut your labor in half. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, but then who am I? Then I'm on my way to being a Whole Foods or I'm on yeah. my way to being McDonald's. just any other brand. Sun Life has become that weird brand where whatever neighborhood we open up in, all the kids race there to get jobs and they love it and it's fun. And yeah, as a business owner, it'd be nice to drastically cut my, my labor cost. But when I walk in, I, I smile, they smile, you smile. I feel like we're fucking winning, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's all organic. You know it's all organic. Yeah. It's clean. It's fresh. Like, I, I'm just going to keep doing this. Yeah. I'm just going to keep opening mm -hmm. more and more of these. And everyone keeps saying, like, what's your exit strategy? What's your exit strategy? My exit strategy, like, I'm hoping to hit 80 and die in my sleep with a smile on my face. That's my exit strategy. And they're like, no, 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 no. But are you going to roll all these stores up and sell it off to Kraft or sell it off to Coors Light or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. mm -hmm. large conglomerate, Pepsi? Yeah. Um, no, I'm not. We've been approached by, you know, 25 different hedge funds and different brands that mm -hmm. want to come in and get us to stop using all organic and adjust the menu a little bit and cut the labor down and open up a hundred stores. Not interested. I'm gonna do a I'm gonna do a Sun Life in Austin, Texas. Yes. With John Paul DeJoria. It's gonna cool. go. And we were just there for our tour. Oh, yeah. you were. They're gonna love it. Dude. So I'm gonna do a Sun Life in Austin, Texas with John Paul DeJoria. And his 40% ownership, because he's putting up all the yeah. money, his 40% ownership goes, 100% of it goes towards feeding the homeless and building houses for homeless people. Mm. Um, I'm going to do a store in Tribeca. With I was going to say New York. With WeWork. Oh, dope. Yeah. They're Ugh. putting us on the ground floor. What month? When? Julie um, do you know October? Julie? Julie Rice? Yeah, yeah. of course. Hey, we're there yeah. in October. I used to be an instructor. No way. Yeah. Oh, I mm -hmm. love Julie. Julie yeah, was Julie's a huge, the best. huge impact yeah. on me. Yeah. So us, we're doing WeWork. We did an amazing one up in Palo Alto with someone else whose name I'll leave out of it, but let's just say yeah. a very influential, very powerful, very amazing man and his wife. And um, it's going really well. We're opening in West Hollywood in October. We're opening Marin County Country Mart 
in July. Oh, that'll crush. Right. Yeah. And um, Scottsdale, Arizona. Oh, nice. July 1st. Oh, nice. Yeah. We'll so have to do fun. a Sun Life tour. Yeah. I, was like, I think we should make our tour just be of Sun Life. So. <laughs> Let me know how I can help. I I'm know. super stoked. We will. I, ho- I, I hope your listeners will, will come in and, oh my gosh. and, and have yeah. a juice we or have s- a smoothie. And if you if you will. if you heard me on this podcast and you see me, please, please, please grab me. You're not mm. bothering me. Grab me. Chances are I'll have a few moments to say hello and treat you to a juice or treat you to a smoothie and just catch up about life. Yeah, Aww. that is true. Because when when I saw you in the store, like a little over two years ago, with a friend of mine, because I had just read the book, and I was like, "Should I?" Oh, uh, always say like, something. He's like, "I don't know," and I did, and you were just like, "That's when I fell in love with you, Khalil." Aww. Thank you. I was like, that's, "Thank you." You know, that is the thing. That is the connection. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah. that is what it's about. So I love when that there's a moment take. There's a moment taken, and then there's a turning. Yeah. There's like this and then there's like, oh, hello. And then yeah. there's the eye contact and then there, and there's mm-hmm. the holding. Yeah. You know, there's such a, and I learn like from people like you and even you talking about that as someone that is now starting to meet people in public of how to act and engage. Yeah. You know, a turning, a nodding, an acknowledgement, an eye contact. And then also too, it allows you to have a full moment. And then when you're ready to leave, you can leave. Yeah. Because you've already experienced that that person fully, yes. you know, in, yes. that, in that moment. Well and, I, and I need it more than anyone. I don't, you know, as far as I've come and as cool as my Instagram looks, I need a hug more so than most. Aww. So, you know. We got you. Gotcha. Well, we're nice and sweaty in here. Uh, so we can't we'll turn on the air out. conditioning when it's in here. So we get a little warm. I love it. I know. It was so good to have you here. You guys are amazing. Yeah, thank oh, you thanks. For, having, for being here. And um, anyone who has a Sun Life near them, please run to it. You will yeah, not it's my favorite. And read I Forgot to Die. You can get it on Amazon, anywhere books are sold. Is it anywhere books are sold? Just so um, it's pretty much Amazon. Okay. And um, yeah, quickly go order th- this book. I mean, what, it's- what's the, what's the listening one? Audible. It's on Audible. Audible. Yeah. Great. It's, it's going crazy on Audible right really? now. Really? Yeah. Did you, did you? I did. I read wow. it. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like crying during it and sweating oh. and like punching myself oh. in the leg. It was heavy. It was heavy. Wow. Oh, I, I have to listen to that. Yeah. I, I highly recommend. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see you soon. This won't awesome. be the last time. Yeah. All right, Thank guys. You. We'll see you soon. Love you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much to Khalil for joining us on the show. That was a long time coming and I just loved digging into your story. And I know it's going to be inspiring for a lot of people out there in Almost 30 Nation. Yeah, that was a damn pleasure. Uh, you can find Almost 30 Podcast on Instagram at Almost 30 Podcast. Three zero are the numbers. Almost30podcast.com. And we are on tour. So we have some events upcoming this fall that we would love to see you at. Uh, we have Chicago upcoming. We have two events in Nashville. We have New York. There's going to be three shows there. We have Miami, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Columbus, and, and then ending in LA. Yeah, ending in LA in pumped. December. We're pumped. super pumped. And then we're also going to be uh, monitoring or moderating the Propel Fitness Festival. Mm-hmm. So that is July 21st and 22nd in Los Angeles in Santa Monica. And we are going to be doing eight interviews that weekend. So come pop in, say hi, check out one of the interviews. There are some amazing guests there. So we're really excited to be a part of that programming. Yes. Oh, forgot to mention Australia in November. Oh yeah, Australia. Yeah, can't Melbourne wait. And Sydney. Can't wait to see you. That was not it. Um, 
<laughs> okay. Here's a review. We always read a review on the other side. We're always so grateful for your reviews. It's amazing. Can't get enough five stars. I'm so glad I came across this podcast. I love how they bring on so many spiritual and wellness guests that have been so impactful to listen to. The most recent episode with Shaman Dirk really was eye-opening on tapping into being a queen. Krista and Lindsay are so so vulnerable and genuine in all their episodes. Keep doing what you're doing, ladies. That's from Isis. Thank you, girl. Thank you so much. Um, all right. We love you guys. Thank you for listening. As always, share with your friends. Get the conversation going in the secret Facebook group. We talk about anything and everything. It's a supportive, funny, inspiring community that you need in your life. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Period. The end. The nicest place on the internet. Truly. We'll see you on the next one. Thank Bye. you so much for tuning in. Bye-bye.